The Guardian. It's film award season. We've had the Golden Globes, the BAFTAs, our own actors, and of course the Oscars, which have just taken place. Welcome to the Guardian Australia Culture Podcast, the Lost in Aussie Wood episode. It's February 2015. I'm Alex Spring, and I write about arts and culture for The Guardian. I'm joined today by some very film-savvy guests. Nancy Groves, the culture editor for The Guardian Australia, who is getting to grips with the Australian psyche, thanks to Two Hands and Strictly Ballroom. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Alex. Our first special guest, The Guardian Australia film critic, Luke Buckmaster, who is thumbing his way through the great Australian back catalogue with his re-watching classic Aussie film series. Hey, Luke. Hello, Alex. Nice to be here. And our second special guest, Tropfest winner, filmmaker, and 2015 New South Wales Young Australian of the Year, Genevieve Clay-Smith. Welcome, Genevieve. Thank you for having me. Australians love going to the cinema. Recently, the Australian Bureau of Statistics released figures that showed more than 12 million people went to the cinema in 2013-2014, which is more than half of the population. Mostly it's the 18 to 24-year-old crowd, with only a third of over 75s going to the movies. And it has to be said that there were some great Australian films last year. The Babadook, The Water Diviner, The Lego Movie, The Little Death, Felony, Predestination and Charlie's Country. We're always talking about how there are so many Australian actors in Hollywood. Kate Blanchett, Naomi Watts, Rose Byrne, Joel Edgerton, Mia Wasikowska, Hugh Jackman, Sam Worthington, the list goes on. And we have some of the finest directors and film crew in the world. Yet we were totally overlooked at the Academy Awards this year, with only one nomination for sound mixer David Lee, who worked on Angelina Jolie's Unbroken, which was shot in Australia. Congratulations to him. But where were the rest of the Aussies? Luke, you wrote about the lack of Aussie nominations. Where were they? Yes, well, it was definitely a very thin year. Um, They weren't at the Academy Awards, uh, that's for certain. Um, And every time there's a year goes by that um, Australians don't get nominated, stories start to appear about epic snubs, and rightfully so, given all the talent we have, and all the talent we have in Aussiewood, as some people call it. but uh, I guess the, the big one, it's interpreted as a sort of a weird omission is the Lego movie. Australians worked on that and visual effects. Uh, we had a great performance from Essie Davis and the Babadook. And we usually have more than just, um, just one or two nominations. So everything is not awesome, to paraphrase the, the Lego song, in terms of Academy Awards and, and Australians for this year. Why do you think that is? What, I mean, why, when there were so many films being made? Um, I think a lot of the Australian films that stood out last year stood out predominantly at film festivals, and they're not generally the kind that you would um, label as the quote-unquote prestige picture. Mm -hmm. Having said that, those films aren't generally produced by Australians anyway. So what we usually see when the nominations come out and they um, entail Australians is people who work in the technical departments and then sometimes your superstars like your Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman. So, if, you know, if this is a scant year and the slim pickings in terms of the acting department, then, the, then maybe that also applies to, to crews as well. So it's really a, a bit of a lucky dip. And to credit the Oscars with accurately reflecting the American film industry is enough of a leap, but to um, accredit it with actually accurately reflecting 
Australian talent is, is, is even further elite. So I think it, it comes down to partly the luck of the draw rather than a reflection of some sort of lack of talent. But I think we had a problem slightly with some of the films that we would like to have seen represented from the Australian kind of um, camp sort of not really being eligible. I mean, you and I, Alex, spoke to Essie Davis on the red carpet at the Actors and she said the sad truth is that they weren't and so that all the lovely champions who've come out since the Oscars nomination saying, oh, the Babadook was robbed, um, unfortunately, it was never going to feature, um, partly to, because of its release um, complications in terms of simultaneous cinema and um, digital release made it made it not ineligible. I'm, I understand in any case, unless you should know, we'd hope. Um, but also, I mean, when you summed up 2014 for us, Luke, in terms of, you know, uh, what kind of year was it for Aussie film? You told a, a happy story, which it was it was a story, sort of uh, the year where niche films, where genre filmmaking really hit its ground. And when does the Oscars really ever kind of truly celebrate genre filmmaking? It's mostly about the blockbusters, isn't it? Yeah, it's mostly about the blockbusters and it's mostly about what you call the prestige picture or the for your consideration picture. They tend to choose the same kind of movies every year and this crop of films are generally the kind of films that uh, perpetuate uh, almost uh, a misdirection on behalf of Tinseltown and the entertainment industry. They're basically insinuating via what you could call the, the world's longest and most elaborate infomercial that uh, prestige dramas and quality adult entertainment is, is the business model for Hollywood, whereas in fact it's, it's not that case at all. Mm. Genevieve, what do you think as a filmmaker? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to hear those opinions. Um, I think as a filmmaker, emerging filmmaker and, you know, still on the journey to make a feature film of my own. Um, it's really interesting just to observe, you know, these award um, seasons to see exactly what does get nominated and, and what are people um, seeing and um, what what is being deemed as excellence in, in filmmaking. And it seems a shame when I hear Nancy to, like, to hear that there are so many um, political and... But also there's just so many... Um, kind of tick boxes that you need to have in order to get a nomination for a fantastic film like The Babadook. I mean, surely, like, why does it... I, I'm, I would be interested to find out more about why does there have to be these tick boxes, these te very technical tick boxes to get a nomination. I mean, surely if you make something fantastic, uh, it should get rightfully acknowledged. So, you know, I find awards season very interesting because I kind of sit back as a filmmaker and I observe the landscape of international cinema and I go, well, what about that film over there? And what about that film? I mean, why is it that, like, we we have, um, you know, these these films miss out and it's always, as Luke said, these particular breeds of films that are getting known and getting... Um, getting recognised at the Oscars. So um, I, I personally don't have a, a particular answer about um, Aussies in film. But, yeah, I think I, that's in this situation, this is what I, I always go to, I think, about, you know, Babadook. Why? Um, with regards to the something like the Babadook and eligibility, I mean, that confused everybody. I don't think even uh, most American critics understood why that was or wasn't eligible. In, ca in fact, there was a number of American critics who were really kind of chest chest beating themselves saying this yeah this this needs to be nominated and Essie Davis should be there all the time mm. um but as Genevieve quite rightly pointed out it, it's a it's a Hollywood institution and it's the the purpose of the Oscars is is not to promote international content that's far from the purpose of the Oscars um and so they're, they're really after helping sustain their own business model 
Mm, absolutely. Business models wise, I mean, we also have to look at what that situation with the Babadook teaches us in Australia when we're going to get to a point where there are going to be way more simultaneous releases, way more straight to digital releases. We saw that with the Mule, which you reviewed very well um, for us. I love us. the Mule. Yeah, yeah you did. Really good. Straight to yeah. DVD, though. Straight right? to DVD for and various online. reasons and yeah. online. So, I mean, in a sense, maybe the kind of award systems have to catch up with the way we now watch film as well and we might see that roll out over the next few years oh absolutely i mean now netflix is commissioning features being made um you know uh, um it's 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 incredible i mean this is the way it's going to go i mean these online distributors are going to be um commissioning films and it's going to be the new way that we get films up so it's definitely going to have to move with the times and i bet it's scaring hollywood i mean it Mm. no doubt is Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I think that's something that a film industry like the Australian film industry, which is much smaller um, and has constant issues around growth and attendance, um, that's something that, that we could perhaps lead the way and the Australian Film Institute could change the you know, rules and eligibility, which they change every year anyway. Mm. Um, <laughs> except no, you know, nobody quite knows what, what's sad. eligible. They actually go through the changes every year. Um, the Academy, probably not. Is going, they're not going to change anytime soon because that diminishes um, the cinemas as... Um, the revenue drivers, you know, the, this idea of the movies actually being a a, um, a reason to uh, get people into essentially a glorified kind of fast food chains where they buy um, sugary drinks and, and salty snacks and, uh, and, the sc- and the screen is just a sort of reason to get them in the door. So I think the Academy are going to be holding on to the traditional cinema for a long, long time. <laughs> We've spoken about the new distribution systems and that sort of thing. What about the new talent, the new Australian talent coming through? Is is are there more uh, hope? Is there more hope on the horizon for Australian filmmaking that we will get recognised? I think if the story of the Babadook taught us one thing last year, it's that overseas is watching while tumbleweeds are rolling through cinemas in Australia and it's playing uh, at some corridor cinema somewhere in the outer suburbs or maybe somewhere in the the latte sipping areas of the city too um you know it's it's also these films are also sweeping through international festivals and I think um festivals are probably where this this sort of talent is going to keep bringing to being brought to the attention of Hollywood um, someone like uh, Zach Hildich, who made these final hours last year at uh, last year at Sundance, all the big power players and all the big um, money brokers in in the studio system are there at, at Sundance. They're noticing this work. They're noticing these these artists and directors. They're not really noticing them back home. So you get a film like um, uh, 2010's Red Hill, directed by a guy called Patrick Hughes. Nobody saw it in Australia, pretty much, despite some very extensive advertising on behalf of its distributor, so they were ticking the right boxes in terms of marketing, Uh, and then he ends up directing The Expendables 3 as his very next film. So Hollywood is watching, the talent is still emerging, Uh, we're just not really nurturing it at home. Later we'll be talking about the point of it all. Are the awards all about parties and gift bags, or is there a deeper reason for the multitude of trophies? Now, I wanted to look at what makes an Australian film Australian. We've had drag queens, crocodile hunters, backpacker serial killers, and wedding-obsessed suburbanites. There have been drug addicts, missing schoolgirls, dancing penguins, and The Great Gatsby. So what content makes Australian films Australian? What do Australian films reveal about the Australian psyche? And in the era of offshore productions and tax rebates, what exactly is 
an Australian film. Luke, what do you think? Well, um, firstly, if you could combine dancing penguins and drug addicts in the same film, I think that would be a winner. Um, <laughs> because the Australian film industry often has, or historically has had a, a branding, a few branding problems. Um, some people suggest that uh, all Australian films, and obviously this is completely incorrect, are about characters who, who die in the, the gutter with, with needles in their arms and, and, and all sorts of problems. Uh, other kind of genre associated with Australian films is that they're ochre comedies and they're, they're a bit kind of... With the Barry McKenzie. Mate. Yeah, the yeah. Barry McKenzie mould. So what is Australian film? Um, both of those and neither. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a really hard th- question, really. Um, and it depends on what we, we want from a cinema. Um, I would suggest a, a ref- reflection of a vibrant culture. And I think we certainly get that through Australian films and um, a lot of variety, and I think we get that as well. Um, other, yeah, other than that, we, we get into some really complicated questions about what makes something Australian, what, what makes it not Australian. In terms of the financial side of things, that's an interesting one. Um, yeah, the, the Great Gatsby won uh, a record haul um, of, you know, equaling haul of, of 13 actor awards. Now, f- for me, a film that stars Hollywood celebrities was largely financed by Hollywood studios and is based on the great American novel is not what I would call an Australian film. But uh, the Academy there dis- disagreed. Um, and <laughs> in this era of offshore productions, this is a question that's going to flare up again and again and again. Mm. So that particular film got a tax rebate rather than actual. So for, for me, it's a combination of where the cast and crew come from where the money comes from is probably the biggest one. And then there's some grey areas. Just to clarify a bit, so that tax rebate, it, it was made here in Australia and given a tax rebate yeah. to do so. So do you think, are you sort of suggesting that there was, well, what are you suggesting? <laughs> well, In terms I, of the awards, I suppose. Oh, in terms of the awards. Well, Baz Luhrmann financed the, got the film financed for about eight, 90, $100 million. That wasn't enough. He got $120 million. That wasn't enough. So he got $120 million plus around 70 to $80 million in tax rebates. That's the sort of financial side of things. In terms of the awards, f- for me, that's, that's a, a moment where they would perhaps pause to question what, what, what did we do that for? Or is that in the Austra- best interest of Australian film? Mm-hmm. I think you could argue that it is. I think you could argue that it isn't. Um, certainly, by that logic, I would also suggest that the Star Wars prequels were Australian films mm-hmm. for exactly the same reason. They didn't have an Australian director, um, and that's really the only difference. Um, so I would suggest it's a, a constant state of reappraisal. What, and, and obviously, while we're having this conversation, um, the people in, in organisations that have been dealing with and distributing and financing and criticising and praising Australian films are also having a conversation. So I, I don't really, I'm not sure anybody really knows. That's what the answer is. Because obviously there is also this discussion around funding at the moment, which uh, in May last year they announced that they were cutting uh, the Screen Australia budget by 50% and Screen Australia responded by trimming staff and trimming marketing. And they, they, they got away with some uh, small cuts to production grants, um, not as much as we everybody was scared of, but still there is, you know, they cut, they pull back on the funding because, you know, w- what would make an Australian film? Yeah, so. and that's very sad. Mm. I want to see the, the funding cut. Absolutely. Genevieve, you look like you have something to... Oh, no, yeah, it is. I completely agree with Luke. I mean, it, it, is, um, it is an interesting um, 
thing to define what is an Australian film, particularly when we do go down to the financing nitty gritty. Um, you know, Transmission's an Australian um, distributor, railway railway man. You know, it's that copro. Like, so does that make it an Australian film? And um, it, it, so it's interesting, and it, I um, yeah, I I think that it's something that we need to um, consider at awards season as well because I think um, I think Luke's point is really interesting about Great Gatsby <laughs> you know um, and and you know what other films do we need to be considering as potentially Australian I also think it's healthy to look at it that way as well I mean um, you know for Australian films to break out and do well globally um, in terms of finance you know reap back box office um, money uh, you know is a film that's set in Australia um, going to translate overseas to Amer- to an American audience, to an English audience? Do we need to be looking at, um, you know, uh, can we uh, make Australian films that are set abroad? And how is that going to um, translate in terms of getting box office rewards? So, you know, it's it's also an interesting thing to be thinking about in that respect. I think one of the things, though, is when you said about what sort of motivates you to make films, it's just you need a really good story. Yeah. And actually, really, that's what it is. So that the films that sort of translated and did travel, I'm a Brit, and watch, got my kind of knowledge of Australian film through the big hits of the 90s, they were just amazing stories. And, yeah, with beautiful aesthetics, too. And for me... Part of my uh, um, part of the appeal of Australian film to me is the aesthetics, which you write about incredibly well, Luke, in your in your series. Um, it's a wide range. There's not one defining aesthetic, but but there just seems to be a real consciousness of that. Um, you know, I did grow up on Basilum and Strictly Ballroom, which not only is an amazing film, but gave us one of our best reality TV shows in the UK, spawned it. Um, but, you know, uh, Muriel, Priscilla, um, and more recent things like Two Hands, which I watched on a plane last week. Um, they don't have a uniting aesthetic, but boy, do they really think about what they look like and how they feel. Look and feel, really. It's a naff kind of cliche, but um, sort of there's a bittersweet beauty to all these films that seems peculiarly... Australian to a to a foreigner like me, Luke. Do you think if if I had to put a gun to your head and, and said, well, oh, please don't. <laughs> no, no. Right, no, not in this context. <laughs> no, in this very camera. small room. <laughs> yeah. um, what Australian film would be a really great reflection of the Australian psyche at any particular time? At any particular, oh, that's a very difficult question. Um, that's why I have the gun. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, well, last week I wrote I wrote about an Australian film called Welcome to Whoop Whoop which is the second film from Stefan Elliott, uh, who directed Priscilla. And instead of uh, taking up Hollywood's offer to um, pick up, you know, Twister and, and the First Wives Club, he made what I think is a, an incredible send-up of national identity. Um, and it's just full of these weird stereotypes that explode with colour and pizzazz. And it's almost kind of born from this era of um, non-political correctness. And I think there's an incredible Australian spirit to that film, just as it was um, not universally loved at the time of its release or now. So that's the film that's in my head at the moment. Interesting. If, yeah, that, interesting if, the, if the gun was to my head, I'd, I'd say welcome to Whoop Whoop. And that's right. a fundamental, I mean, that's a very Australian title. Absolutely. <laughs> it is absolutely. Quintessential. Absolutely. And the comments below your piece have already reflected the fact that, yeah, it's a Marmite film. You know, people mm-hmm. love it or hate it. 
Very divisive. But they can't kind of deny that it's it's Aussie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you yeah. mean a Vegemite film, don't you, Nancy? I mean yeah. a Vegemite <laughs> film. The thongs and the triple X stu- and the stubbies and the Collingwood jumpers that give it away. Oh yeah, this is this is definitely an Australian film. Absolutely, Genevieve. I won't use the gun on you. Is oh. there um, the, well, unless you would like me <laughs> to? Is there something in particular that that you would pick? Look, I have to say, when I think of the films um, that have uh, really captivated the hearts of Australian audiences, they are usually films that exp- that that um, have the underdog. You know, you, you look at um, Strictly Ballroom, you look at um, The Sapphires, you look at, um, you know, even Gallipoli. Like, you know, the under- we love the underdog. We love the story of the battler that, you know, overcomes. It's that overcoming spirit. So, um, look, I, I think that, um, and I think that's really lovely in our culture. I think that, um, I think we get some beautiful films from that. I mean, I, I personally, I love that, those stories as well. I love seeing the, the underestimated person, you know, rise up and achieve. And um, it's, it's inspiring for audiences. And I think they can see themselves in that as well. And uh I think most of us can, you know, uh, we've all felt underestimated at some point in our lives, and it's lovely to see that portrayed. Um, so I, I would, I would say, strictly ballroom for sure is a, is a beautiful representation. I think in the films we've seen, you write about Luke also. There's been a great reflection of the true diversity of the Australian nation as well, hasn't there? I and mean, that's and stuff right, right back to. Um, to their weird mob, to the kind of '90s Melbourne films that you know you've you've spoken about about the immigrant experience and about uh, about the arty Bohemian sets in Melbourne. Um, I'm a romantic. I I totally agree with Genevieve about Strictly Ballroom. The scene on the balcony um, where the, he's finally teaching her to dance is just um gets me every time, and not just because of Cindy Lauper's time after time playing. It's a perfect <laughs> choice, by the way. It, it doesn't. It doesn't hurt though, does it? It does not hurt. But also, um, in two hands, I mean, you know, two, you know, absolute young stars in Rose Byrne and Heath Ledger obviously takes on a bit of a tragic note. Now watching it. But the scene where they first meet in King's Cross, um, where I now live, um, and the camera just lingers on Rose Byrne as Heath Ledger is taking her photo, you know, it's not, it's, there's nothing massively deep about it, but it's this moment of slightly wonky, wonky romance that I really love in Australian film. Absolutely. I'm going to throw my, my choice in, which is uh, Lantana, which I still love very Beautiful much. It was, it was based on Andrew Bilbao's play. Mm. And I just think it's a really smart adult drama mm. with great storytelling, great filmmaking, great acting. It brought everything together. And I still think that's a great example. And one I'd like to see replicated, I'd like to see more good adult Australian drama mm. made. Do you like that film, Luke? Yeah, it's a rich and mysterious film. Mm. And it's it's quintessentially Australian, but for none of the obvious reasons. It's not around red dirt and, and mm. kangaroos. It's very much in the city. But then again, it's not about yuppies either. No. It's, uh, and it's very mysterious and it's got that murder mystery element and it all comes together beautifully. I'm a big, big fan. Of course, if we were to travel back to the 70s, there'd be a different story there with uh, the uh, crazy horror films that we all that we produced back oh, then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's the exploitation movement. Yeah, absolutely. Movement. <laughs> yeah. so, and that just goes to show you how diverse we, we are as a, as a film industry. That's true. That's true.
You're listening to the Guardian Australia Culture Podcast. For all of our film news and reviews, both in Australia and around the world, head over to theguardian.com, click on the culture section, then click on film. Coming up, we're going to talk about what we're looking forward to in March, and we want to hear what you're excited about too. There was a recent Reuters poll in the US that showed the critics are out of step with audiences when it comes to awards. While critics picked Eddie Redmayne in The Theory of Everything, the People's Choice was Bradley Cooper for his role in American Sniper. They also picked Reese Witherspoon for her role in Wild. So what's the real purpose of film awards? Is critical acclaim that important? Does it result in higher box office? Or is it just an excuse for backslapping, gift bags and an over-the-top party or two? Luke, what's the point of it all? Um, in terms of your, your wider question about the, the, the point of the Oscars, it's to, um, it's to, to establish um, a perception of the industry that, that isn't necessarily um, accurate. So I don't know if, if you've ever watched a George Foreman um, infomercial on late night TV. I bet you if you have, it hasn't gone for three and a half hours. So if you, if you view the Oscars as a three and a half hour infomercial, and I really like the Oscars too, and I don't mind the occasional infomercial. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it takes on an interesting different context because obviously the, the film industry doesn't survive off the back of a bunch of prestigious dramas. Um, it doesn't survive even necessarily off movies. It survives off properties, um, toys and uh, video games, auxiliary markets, etc. franchises, sequels. The kind of films that you see at the Oscars aren't the kind that generally have um, sequels. Um, you know, there was no 13 Years a Slave. It's not going to be um, <laughs> the theory of everything too, um, unless Eddie Redmayne, you know, really, really wants it um, or manages to somehow broker that deal. Um, but that's what I think the Oscars is about. And, and, it was, and it was founded in 1927 with that mission statement, um, not necessarily in those words, but um, it, it, the mission statement was to give a respectability and a credibility to the industry. And there's nothing really uh, wrong with that, it, even if it is a bit infomercially. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I don't think you'd want to read too much into the results. Uh, but over time, they, they tend to reflect certain, certain patterns, which can be fairly interesting. But there is a sort of shimmer and a shine to having Oscar award winning film, that sort of thing. So. Oh, totally. Yeah. And there's some great um, clothes. There's <laughs> usually Jack Nicholson is sitting around, you know, around the third row. Although in recent years, we haven't sort of seen so much of Jack. Um, I saw him the, eyeing the, up the, Jennifer Lawrence at, at uh, Yes, yeah. oh, that was classic. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, research for that on YouTube if you haven't watched it. Jennifer Brilliant. Lawrence, Jack Nicholson, highly recommended. But oh my goodness, the shimmer and shine is the point. I'm a total awards do addict. I was so excited to go to the actors and be within breathing distance of Kate Blanchett. I'm not going to lie. I love it. <laughs> and, um, and it's just a wonderful spectacle. It's sort of a secondary spectacle to the films, probably sometimes a better one. Um, uh, and, you know, trying to find a way to stream it either in Australia or, or, or the UK where I used to live is always a nightmare. But I am an unequivocal fan. Red carpet fashion, Vanity Fair after party. Oh my goodness, I bought the Vanity Fair Hollywood issue for the last like 20 years and I have them stacked up somewhere in a bedroom. <laughs> I just, I, I find that whole bewitching old Hollywood. I know it's a myth as much as any other myth, but I find it intoxicating and for one night a year, I'm totally happy to subject to it entirely. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Genevieve, I mean, you you, uh, you won Trop First, so you are a, an award recipient. Did, uh, did it change your world? <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I mean, I think um, what happens is when you get an award like that, you feel a real great sense of validation that, oh, what I 
put blood, sweat and tears into was worth it. Um, there's that. There's just something there as a filmmaker that go when when people say what you've done is good and you know they you know to get an award like that. There's just a really wonderful sense of validation that yep, okay, I, I did a good job. Um, and I think um, you know. There's, there's obviously that in there too, you know. There's, there's just something really wonderful about, um, about getting a pat on the back and saying, "Well done, you. This deserves an award. What you've done deserves something, and and it deserves to be recognised." Um, in saying that, though, it's I, I don't think it's very good to to be making things and aiming for it. I think that um, you you have to kind of, you. I think as a filmmaker or uh, an artist or whatever, like you you make things because you love to make them. And if if people like it and enjoy it, well, that's great. I mean, as a filmmaker, I the films that I want to make, I want audiences to enjoy. I mean, the films I love are good old strictly ballroom. Love it, you know. I I love those types of films, and and my my mission is to make films that people just sit back, love, can laugh at, can have a cry, and just you know have uh, a really lovely time with, um, you know. And and that's that's the goal. If along the way gets awards, well. That's great. That's some lovely validation, um, but definitely not something that that should be, you know, the, the main goal for. I reckon. Um, so that that would be my perspective on it. Um, Did more people sort of recognise your work? You know, the man in the streets, Joe Public. <laughs> it gave my little short film that I made um, as a part of a uni, my final uni assignment, an incredible life, and for that I'll be always grateful. You know, to see it, um, you know. You know, loved by people, and um, and to have an audience of a hundred thousand was just amazing. And um, you know, Jared and I, Jared, who starred in the film, who um, he's an actor with Down syndrome, who got the award for best acting. You know, we're still in touch, and we still, well, actually, more than in touch. I teach him filmmaking every Saturday uh, with my other cl- with my other students. But um, you know, it's it really um, it it did impact our lives in a great way. And, um, you know, since he's been able to, um, you know, get a lot more, a lot of different gigs. And I certainly, um, you know, was inspired to co-found Bus Stop Films with the producer uh, who made Be My Brother. And it, it set us on a little, uh, on a journey that I, I never expected to go on, but one that I completely love. And it was such a beautiful film too, Thank Genevieve. You. Um, uh, I always wonder, well, I don't always wonder, I've wondered it well now, uh, if I if I won uh, the Chopfest Fruit Bowl or the Oscar statuette, do you kind of did you find yourself holding it and bringing it everywhere with you, like <laughs> taking it into the shower, taking it into the supermarket, you know, asking people they want to pat it? I um I I did actually shower with it once. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I um I I remember. You know, it's, I I remember the exact thoughts that were going through my head as I walked up to get it, and those thoughts were, "This isn't it." Um, you know, it's not the it's not the thing that's going to completely catapult me into Hollywood and get that four picture deal. It's a great place to start, and it's a great place to, um, you know, get um, get the film and audience, and kind of get that um, you know bit of recognition. And I suppose there's a bit of clout behind you moving forward to to do more work and um you know as I said I mean the best I I believe the best thing about having one trot fest was just you know having that platform to start bus stop I mean 
Be My Brother was made um, with uh, people with a disability working behind the camera and because I felt very passionately about giving um, people the chance to be involved in the filmmaking process as well. And that basically, when, when we won, I just went, well, right, I mean, there's something in this, it works. And um, that's when we started to do the filmmaking workshops and make more films in the same way. And um, it's been a really, yeah, it's, it's been a wonderful journey and I'll forever be thankful for, for winning, for, for, for getting the, the Tropfest Fruit Bowl because of, you know, Bus Stop has really been born from it. Alec, uh, when we were talking about preparing for this episode, you mentioned, uh, could the Oscars actually be gamed? Are there ways of, of getting around that system um, with publicity campaigns and marketing campaigns? Is that what you think? Uh, to a point, uh, yes. So in, in the 90s, the, the Weinstein brothers, using their distributor Miramax, came in and really bulldozed up the place and changed the, the style that, that Oscar contentions were, were run and really introduced a very heavily political campaign style to it. So when you're trying to appeal to Oscar voters, you're not allowed to dump a whole lot of cash on their front door. You're not allowed to call them up. Um, you're not allowed to email them or send them letters um, to a point. There's sort of you can send them for your consideration discs and a few things, but usually that comes from the Academy itself. So that led the studios to take a whole range of different options to try and curry favour. Uh, and there's any number of different ways you can you can cut that. You can have massive dinner parties that just sort of seem to be related to the film at the time. You can um, campaign against uh, another film or drop some controversy. That happens just about every year about factual inaccuracies. Um, and yeah, you can take out ads for $30,000 in variety or $50,000 in variety. Uh, letters, you know, every year they're, they're publishing actual ads as letters to the Academy because you can't actually lick the stamp and put it on the envelope. Um, so they, the Weinsteins came along and really changed the way that the Academy Awards campaign style rolled out. And if it could be gamed and if we accept that maybe it was at some stage, the moment of original sin was probably Shakespeare in Love winning um, seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Um, up against uh, Saving Private Ryan. Um, that still is known as the kind of, whoa, we kind of got, got that one wrong. <laughs> what, were, what were you thinking there? Um, Joseph Fiennes is good, but not that good. <laughs> and Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. What's the word? <laughs> Without that, though, we wouldn't have had one of the finest acceptance speeches of we've ever seen that set the, set the kind of level for crying. Uh, while picking up an award, <laughs> right? Famously. Well, that's that's always a... a to Grandpa that's Joe. Always a, that's always a, a bonus. And that's the drama that I love, you know, the, the dodgy acceptance speeches, the, the, the not quite right outfit choices, <laughs> summed up in that particular moment. And as you say, maybe not the right choice of film, though I'm a fan of that, that film. Really? Yeah. Call me an English literature graduate, but... I haven't seen it for many years. I've seen it, but I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was mm. fluffy. I wouldn't go awarding it Best Picture, but I, I thought it was fun. I had that Shakespeare in the back of my boat. You know, <laughs> that. As you mentioned, up against Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> One of the classic boo-boos, as you said, right? Absolutely. And now it is our regular time for our regular segment, Fangirl, what we're looking forward to in March, uh, where we are going to share the things that we're most excited about in the month ahead. So, Luke, you go first. What's in your diary for March? I just can't wait for this film. It's called Inherent Vice. It's the new movie from Paul Thomas Anderson, who directed There Will Be Blood and The Master and Boogie Nights. Um, it looks 
very odd. It's a stoner de- detective comedy with Joaquin Phoenix as a star. And if I had to name my favourite actor living today, it would be Joaquin Phoenix. He could just um, eat Cocoa Pops or wash his hands and it would <laughs> feel like it was some epic profundity. I, I love that guy. Even um, the, year, the year that we lost him? When he went a bit AWOL and decided, decided he was going to be a rapper. Oh, yeah, especially. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't, that especially just contributes that. to why we love him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was I'm, I'm Still Here. And, and I loved that film because that was real life acting. He just pretended to lose it as a rapper. It, it was, and it was so realistically done. He grew this massive beard out, went on David Letterman. And then just when the film was released, you realized it was all ruse. So he's taken acting to very bizarrely meta levels. What is it about this film, though? Because it, it actually, I saw the trailer and it made hardly any sense to me at all. Yes. Well, that's one of the reasons I'm interested, because <laughs> <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson is quite a fluid filmmaker. Um, he tells stories and he, and he focuses on characters very strongly. So if it makes no sense in the trailer, and that's his style or one of his strengths, it, it just seems like such an unusual film and I just can't, can't wait. Looking forward to that one too, absolutely. Genevieve, what's your pick for March? I'm really excited about the Byron Bay Film Festival, Byron Bay International. Um, I think it's great. Uh, It's a really great uh, festival up there and, um, you know, a great chance to um, go and see some fantastic work. It's Australia's largest um, film festival. I think it shows in, um, I think it has about... Over 230 films that it shows includes includes short films and feature films, and um, I think we've we've got to support our local film festivals. So Nancy, what are you looking forward to in March? Well, I after a sort of very hefty festival season, um, kind of going around all the cities, which is not a bad job, I will say. But I am looking forward to lighting up a bit and getting down to Melbourne for the International Comedy Festival. Um, I love comedy. Um, I haven't seen enough since I've been here. And obviously it is sort of along with Edinburgh and Adelaide, one of the biggest showcases. I think there's some like 7,000 performers this year. And it's going to be a really great opportunity for me to see Aussie talent but also catch up with some of my British friends because there's always a big influx from the UK. Um, and I think this year we've got all sorts of um, all sorts of great people, uh, as well as Joel Creasy from I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that was meant to be a joke. <laughs> well, my top pick for March will be All About Women, which will be at the Sydney Opera House on uh, Sunday, March the 8th. And uh, they have a great lineup of speakers, including Elizabeth Gilbert with her hairdresser, which is going to be fascinating. I'm chatting to her. Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm going to try and get a free haircut haircut out of it too. Are you listening, publicists? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There's other people, there's other really interesting people as well on the program, including Helen Garner, who who wrote the... House of Grief, which was my favourite book from last year. Uh, Sinead O'Connor and Nina Cherry are also going to be there. Um, uh, but for me, the topic will be seeing Rosie Batty talking uh, uh, there about uh, her domestic violence campaign. She was um, recently uh, awarded Australian of the Year, and I find her the most extraordinary human being. So I can't wait to see her. Um, and I think that whole festival is always just extraordinary. Um, so that's what my, is my top pick for March. But uh, that's it for now, for this month. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you head over to theguardian.com and click on culture, you'll find our culture podcast page with a list of everything we've talked about today and links to lots more information. We'd love to chat to you on our Guardian Australia Culture Facebook page, facebook.com backslash Guardian Australia Culture, on Twitter at GDN Oz Culture, or send us your culture pics on Instagram at GDN 
Oz Culture. You can follow all of us on Twitter. Follow Luke at Luke Buckmaster. Follow Genevieve on at Genevieve Clay. Follow Nancy on at Nancy Arts. And follow me at Alex Spring. For now, thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Luke. And thank you, Genevieve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you also to our producer, Miles, and to our technical whiz, or the lord of the audio, as he now likes to be known, Jason. We'll see you all next month back here on the Guardian Australia Culture Podcast. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.